Happy Easter, y'all, and welcome to Southern Reverend, a podcast from a pastor in Georgia about the Christian faith, work in ministry, and life in the South. I'm your host, Joel Mooneyhan, and I'm excited to bring you a series on Eastertide over the next few weeks from the Book of Acts. But today I want to deal specifically with the four gospel accounts of the resurrection and address one of the common challenges I've heard from people about those stories and kind of give my interpretation of why these events can actually be trusted more than you would think. So in order to do that, we need to read each of the four gospel accounts of the resurrection. Those come to us from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12, and John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. I thought about reading each of those, and then the more I thought about it, they can get kind of lengthy, and I don't want to bore you to death before we even get started. So I do invite you to hit pause, go read those, and then come back. It's going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be the typical Southern Reverend episode with musical interludes built in for reflection. This is uh, just some off-the-cuff reflections that I've spent several years of my life uh, coming to terms with about the resurrection, and I want to pass them along to you, whether you're a believer or a skeptic or somewhere in between. I hope that you will find this meaningful, and if you do, awesome, and if you don't, then I apologize, and I'll try to do better next time, uh, but we're all on this journey uh, trying to make sense of some very remarkable and important things that have happened in history. So uh, without further ado, here we go. Now, for a long time, one of the things that I've heard skeptics of the resurrection point to is the consistency in the different accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And one of the things people ask is, if the story is true, why wouldn't it be the exact same story in all four accounts? Why do so many of the details kind of shift? And this is a valid question. So if you would, allow me to answer with a personal anecdote. When I was about 13, my dad and I were headed home and we were turning left in an intersection, and we were T-boned. The truck struck our car on the side where I was uh, sitting and spun our car around 180 degrees. And if you've ever been in an accident, you know how this feels. You experience everything in slow motion. Sounds are elongated and loud. The motion of your body being hurled suddenly in a new direction makes you feel almost weightless, and you see every detail that your eyes pick up in sharp, vivid focus. And only when it stops does gravity return to normal, and you're surprised to learn that the whole ordeal that seemed to last an eternity was just a mere few seconds. It's frightening, and it's jarring. So after it stopped, I remembered my dad saying, Joel, are you okay? And I could hear the fear of fatherhood in his voice for his son. And it may be the only time I've ever heard that tone in his voice before or since. And in my stunned silence, all I could answer was, yeah, I'm fine. And my door was smashed and it wouldn't open, but somehow apart from the ache in my knee, I was okay. But I couldn't go anywhere because the door was just completely crumpled and slammed shut. So as I sat there in my own dumbfounded silence, I heard people run out from different corners of the intersection to check and see what happened. And before long, a police officer arrived to survey the scene, collect witness statements, write up a report. 
And looking back, I'm amazed at how different the story was depending on where each person was standing, what they saw, what they heard. Uh, you know, somebody said, the other guy ran a red light. Somebody said, no, no, the light was green. Well, he was turning onto that street right over there. No, 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 somebody was already coming down that road, uh, coming straight across the intersection. And it was just different accounts because everyone saw it from a different perspective. Some people said that they heard the crash before they saw what happened and they ran outside to see. One guy saw it from a gas pump. Uh, one lady was closing up her shop for the night and saw it through the window of her store. Still, somebody else drove up right after the collision and sort of saw the aftermath. Some people described it in great detail. Others were very matter-of-fact and to the point. And I reckon you can take that down to the kind of people they were. Some people are more detail-oriented. Uh, some people are given to talking more. Some people are more cut to the chase, straight to the point observers. But whatever the case, one thing that everyone agreed on was that there had been a car accident. A white truck collided with a gray sedan. Those two men were driving, and each of them had their sons as passengers, and it happened right over there. And no one had anything to gain by deviating from those facts. Now, police officers and lawyers will tell you that if you get four or five people in a room to tell an account of a story, and every single one of them tell the exact same story down to every little detail, something may be wrong and their ears perk up and listen for something suspicious. A parent of two or more children who are in trouble will tell you the same. When the accounts are dead on exact, they almost seem rehearsed or maybe somebody's trying to get out of trouble. So when there's a little bit of difference in the accounts, you can normally assume that people are actually going by their actual memory. Now, the gospel writers similarly have different perspectives. They each tell their story based on where they were standing, as it were. Personal flourishes that reflect their voices come into the stories. Details that would have meant something to the specific audiences to which they were speaking make a difference. But in each of the gospel accounts, two facts remain consistent. Jesus, having been executed by crucifixion, was alive again. And the first witnesses to it were a group of women. Which brings us to the next point. Jewish society was intensely male-dominated. Forget what you think about patriarchy today. Women today can vote, own property, have jobs, hold public office, go to school, and so on. But if you were a woman in the first century in Judea, you were effectively nothing. It's said by a lot of scholars that male slaves were actually held in higher regard than women were. A woman was not even thought of as a reliable enough witness to give testimony in court proceedings. And so their presence in the story and their testimony is actually very problematic to its credibility in the eyes and ears of the original hearers of the story. If you were making up a story based on a lie, you absolutely would not ask a Jewish woman to be a part of your conspiracy, and you wouldn't hang a lie on the testimony of their word. But for some reason, each of the gospel writers do. We only have these four accounts because the women who were there left and told people what they saw. The resurrection elevates them to a place in the story that they would not be in otherwise unless they were actually there and they actually saw something. Which brings us to the next point.
the resurrection turns expectations upside down and it changes things remarkably. Women are the center of the story. The least become the greatest. The last become the first. Women being in the story was not an inspiring detail at the time. It didn't make any immediate headway into women's rights, and no one used it to validate or elevate the place of women in society. Now, that eventually happened, but it was a result of the Christian story, not the purpose of originally telling it. And the story itself confounded logic. Messiahs do not get killed. There were a lot of so-called messiahs before and after Jesus, and they had their own little movements and disciples, and anyone who claimed to be the messiah was eventually executed, and their followers would give up. I mean, every single one of them. And you can look through history and find about a dozen or so on either side of Jesus' life that follow this exact pattern. They would get together a group of followers, they would teach, they would talk about resurrection and overthrowing Rome, and then they would get conquered and their followers disbanded. Every single one, except for Jesus. He was killed, and yet his followers maintained that he was still the Messiah. And culturally, that just doesn't make sense. Now people say, yes, but we know now that people don't raise from the dead. Well, so did they. A careful reading of the Gospels makes it clear that the people who heard it the first time didn't believe it, and they weren't expecting Jesus to come back. In fact, any time that Jesus mentioned his death and resurrection in the Gospel accounts, even his most ardent and faithful followers thought that he was crazy, because they knew then, as well as we do now, that dead people stay dead. And in fact, this was built into their religious dogma. Any notion that they did have of something resembling resurrection was certainly not something that happened to one man in the middle of history on some random Sunday morning. But this resurrection caused droves of men and women to abandon centuries of belief baked into their culture. They knew it didn't make sense, and yet they still maintained their story. And so people ask, well, if it's true, or if Jesus did resurrect, why hasn't that kind of thing happened since? And I think this is a valid question, but I think we have to look at it in terms of historical events. Historical events of great significance only ever happen once, because once they do, they normally usher in a sea change, and they can never be repeated with the same result. For example, Julius Caesar could have only crossed the Rubicon once. Martin Luther could have only nailed his 95 theses up once. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech could only ever happen with the same impact once. Now, I wasn't there for any of those events, and of the three, I have only seen video and heard recordings of one of them. Everything else I know about all of these stories is based on accounts that have been handed down tracing them back originally to the people who saw them happen and lived in the midst of the immediate results. Now, of course, I can't prove the resurrection. I don't think anybody can. But I also can't prove a lot of things that are generally accepted as fact because we take them at people's word. And I'm not saying that you have to believe it. That's up to you. But what I am saying is that there is more to the story than can be dismissed 
with the hand-waving of it at being a delusion or an outright lie. Only a fool could deny this. Caesar was a mighty general and paved the way for the most powerful empire in history. Martin Luther was a provocative theologian whose writings and teachings split the church in two. Martin Luther King Jr. was a courageous and eloquent leader who led the nation in the fight for racial equality. Jesus of Nazareth was an itinerant carpenter from the outskirts of an empire who was executed in the most humiliating and painful way ever imagined. And yet, we only count the years in history in reference to the life of one of those men. Strange that it isn't the other three. Whatever else you may or may not believe about the resurrection, there is no escaping the fact that something happened. Something that was based on the testimony of the wrong people. Something that caused devout people of faith to abandon their centuries-old beliefs for a new one. And something that literally became the center point of human history. Make of that what you will. We all have to. Now I recognize that this is by no means an exhaustive or scholarly approach to answering the question of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, but I don't have that much time to do it. And there are much smarter and wiser men and women who have tackled that in greater detail. But I did want to give just a few minute reflection on that based on questions that I've encountered as a pastor and as a minister of the gospel over the years. So whether you're a believer or a skeptic or somewhere in between, I at least hope that you found it thoughtful and giving you something to reflect on and think about as we head into Easter Tide season, which, by the way, lasts 50 days. It's not just Easter Sunday. So hopefully that has been meaningful to you. And if you have enjoyed it, thought it was thought-provoking, then feel free to share it with friends, family, co-workers, total strangers, anybody you'd like. I've got a few more things up my sleeve for the next few weeks, including a few more episodes that will drop this week, again centered around the lectionary text from the book of Acts, but you can listen from the rest of the podcast to learn more about that. If you'd like to listen more or read more from me, you can find me online at www.southernreverend.com and on Facebook and Instagram at the handle Southern Reverend. But until then, y'all have a great week. Be good to one another. Happy Easter. Jesus is risen.